Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Joshua and specifically Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning there, why don't you look to your neighbor, tell him you like, hey, I'm glad to be sitting next to you today. There you go. Turn to your other neighbor, tell him you look good today. Be encouraging in church. Like for all my single people, like this is your time to shine. Like you... Like, this is a layup for you. This is your time to smile at somebody. A smile never hurt anyone. Come on. Be encouraging in the house of God. So Joshua chapter two, we're gonna read a couple of verses. We're gonna, we're gonna verse jump actually, but uh, before we start reading, I just wanna give a little bit of context. So what's happening right now is, uh, it, it, this, these are the events that happened right after Joshua has just been commissioned by God. So last week, Pastor Alex, he, he preached about Joshua being called by God to take cap, to, to conquer the land. Like to, Moses is dead, get up and go. Get to it because I have promises for you and it's time for you to walk in those promises. And basically what we're going to pick up right now in Joshua chapter 2 is Joshua is now taking lead of the, the army of Israel. He's taking lead of the people of Israel. He's got his bearings. Like he's, he's, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with boldness now. And just one quick thing to keep in mind is that what we're about to read in chapter 2, the first thing that happens right after that, that commissioning is not a conquest story. It's not a war story. It's not a battle but actually it's considered a, a, beautiful, a beautiful story that is very, very similar to a salvation story. It's a gospel story. And, and the reason why I say that is because what we're gonna read in a moment is someone who was not born through the lineage of David. This person was not an Israelite, but yet they are, they are able to be accepted into the Israelite people, into God's chosen people and be, be able to take part of their inheritance. So this is really a story of redemption. Because what's going to happen is as we're reading our, our, our study guide and as we're reading through the book of Joshua daily, we're going to read about battles that happened. We're going to read about wars that happened. And, and, and it's very easy to think that this book is a book about conquering, which it is. And it wasn't about conquering land. It wasn't about taking dirt. It was all about setting up shops so that God's people can have a place to inhabit so that they can let the entire world know about Jehovah, about the Lord himself. Right, so that's God's plan from the very beginning. But what we're gonna pick up right now is in Joshua chapter two. We're gonna start in verse one. And if you're there, say amen. All right, awesome, you guys got there quick. And don't worry if you don't have a Bible with you, it's gonna come up on the screens as well as everyone watching online. So the word says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So basically what happens is Joshua sends these two men, which I'm not going to lie, this is probably the most nervous verse I've ever had to read on a Sunday. Uh, don't ask why. But uh, Joshua sends these two men to go and spy out the land of Jericho. So Jericho was this fortified city with a giant wall that, surra that, that surrounded it. And um, 
because it's a part of the land that God wants them to take, he's like, you know what? Why don't you scout it out for me? And what basically happens is once these men get into Rahab's home, they didn't go there because, you know, they knew who she was. They went there because it's like, think of it like a Motel 6. Like they decided to just go in there, be in and out. They just like, they just figured, no, we're going to be really inconspicuous here. No one's going to think anything. However, word gets out to the king of Jericho. And the king of Jericho then goes to Rahab and says, hey, um, I heard these two men were here. Like, where are they? Don't lie to me. But Rahab, for whatever reason, just felt, you know what? I, I saw the two men, but they went somewhere else. It's like an, it's like a, an episode, like a scene out of Scooby-Doo, where they send, like the, they send them in the wrong direction. The whole point is so that the two men can be hidden. Rahab hides them and then sends the, sends the, the king of Jericho and his men in another direction. So then what happens is Rahab goes to her roof where she hid the two spies. And this is a conversation that she's about to have with them. And, and most theologians believe that this is one of the most beautiful declarations of faith recorded in the Old Testament. So picking up back in verse 9, it says, And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And in your Bibles, I want you guys to just like underline the rest of this verse because it's so beautiful, right? So then she says, there was, uh, again, there was, uh, there was no spirit in any man because of you. And then it says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the, by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So they go ahead and they make a they make a deal with Rahab because Rahab says, you know what, your God is real. Like I've heard all about him and I can't deny it. He is Lord Almighty. So because I don't want to be on the bad side of like I don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. Like, would you mind like treating me well, like the same way I'm treating you guys well, the same way that I'm taking care of you? May you please take care of me because I know your God is gonna give you this land. So they make a deal with her. And then they actually they get real specific and give her instruction, like, okay, this is what you gotta do, so that we can make sure that you are saved. And what we're going to conclude right now on verse 21. This is Rahab agreeing to the terms and, it said, and verse 21 says, and she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So they gave her clear instruction. She followed it. She decided, hey, God is real because of everything I've heard about him. So much, so much that we can take from these and we're going to unpack this in a moment, but really as we continue to study the book of Joshua today, we're actually going to take a little bit of a segue and do a little bit of a character study. And we're going to, we're going to dive in more about Rahab and, and really how God changed this woman's life by his grace. So if you're writing notes, I've titled this message, There's Levels to This. There's Levels to This. And uh, we're going to pack this in just a moment. But before we continue, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's ask God to bless this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, we thank you that we're able to just gather here and worship you. 
God, I pray that you would just move in this time, God, that uh, for anyone that's in here that's discouraged, that you would encourage them, Jesus. For anyone that's in here, God, that just feels like they're, they're bound by shame, God, that you would remind them that you love them, Jesus, that they would see you for who you truly are, a loving God, a graceful God. Jesus, I pray that you anoint this message and that it will land on every heart how you desire, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all the Calvary said, amen and amen. Can we make some noise for Jesus one more time? There you go. 9 a.m. is alive and awake. So, on uh, about 22 years and two weeks ago, on April 15th in the year 2000, feels so long ago, but on that day, the NFL had their annual draft where they bring in some of the brightest and, and best stars in, in college football so that they can play professionally. And, and as a part of this draft, there's a lot of legendary football players. You have a Hall of Famer by the name of Brian Erlacher. You have a 2005 NFL MVP by the name of Sean Alexander. He was a running back. You have one of the most... Uh, one of the most coveted kickers in the game of, of football named Sebastian Janikowski. For all my Dolphins fans, you have your favorite backup quarterback, Chad Pennington, who's a part of this draft. But one player that was a part of this draft, um, they were lightly regarded. And what happens is they, they have such a terrible combine performance that their draft stock plummeted. Like the chances of them actually being taken seriously were very slim to none. Some of the comments as a, part of their draft, uh, as a part of their scouting report was that they have a poor build, they're skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, lacks mobility and ability to avoid the rush, can't drive the ball downfield, does not throw a really tight spiral, system type player who can get exposed if forced to ad-lib. One, one professional, actually this is, this is a direct quote from them, it says, this person is awful, not even on my board, weak. He'll make somebody a good husband or a good medical salesman. <laughs> Boom, roasted. <laughs> See, the thing is that this, this same player that nobody was even considering went on to be drafted that year. They went on to be drafted in the sixth round as a 199th pick. And a lot of people who don't even follow sports already know who I'm talking about. But let's go through their resume. Since the year 2000, this person has went on to win seven Super Bowl championships, the most by any player or franchise in the NFL. They've been named to five Super Bowl MVPs. They've been the league MVP three times. Their resume continues and continues, and they currently hold a record for the most career quarterback wins, passing touchdowns, and then some. Arguably the greatest football player of all time. Who am I talking about? Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., a.k.a. Tom Brady the GOAT. I know, Marlon, I'm sorry you're a Dolphin. But, but here, what, what I find so crazy, and, and, and again, a lot of people who don't even follow sports know about Tom Brady. He, he's, he's, he's surpassed, he's transcended the sport of football already. He is just like a figure in the world. But what's crazy to believe is that these professionals who were experts in their craft and being able to, to analyze, to study the very game of football were all wrong about one man who would, completely, who would completely dominate the very sport they studied. And I shared this story about Tom Brady, not to, not to get some Dolphin fans upset and not to you know, boast about the fact that I am a New England Patriots fan. No, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. I know, I'm losing you, I'm losing you, I'm losing you. 
But the reason I share this story is to really showcase the how sometimes the most unlikely people can, can change history. And, and again, we, we look back 22 years later and we think, man, these guys really dropped the ball. Like, how could they be wrong about this one man? And in retrospect, like, these scouts were doing their job. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, which is to draw to conclusions based on assumptions, based on the expectations they put on how a professional player should be. And while, yes, these guys, they, they do this professionally, I want to say, isn't that us on a normal basis? We constantly, we, we make assumptions on others. We, we draw to conclusions on people. We make judgments on others, whether it's because of their economic status, whether it's because of their career path, whether it's because of their ethnicity, whether it's because of where they're from. Hello. It's so, we, like, as human beings, we have the proclivity, we have the tendency to go ahead and project expectations onto others. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our families. We do it to our spouses. For all my husbands in here, we expect our wives to do X, Y, Z. For all the wives, we expect our husbands to do X, Y, Z. We project onto our children. Hello. And then we, even, I'll take it even a step further. Sometimes we even project expectations on ourselves. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we can never amount to anything. We, we add in, like, don't get me wrong. There should always be a standard we should always try to achieve. And we should always try to strive for greatness and to be better, be better in our marriages. But, but what happens is we easily put weight on ourselves that shouldn't have to be there. We constantly project expectations. I'll take it a step further. I'm sure there's some people in here that we pro we've projected expectations onto God. Like, God, you're supposed to do this. I mean, I, I, I come to church every Sunday. Why haven't you done this yet? Why haven't you moved in my life the same way you're moving in this person's life? God, I, I, I pay my 10%. I tithe. Why do I have to pay so much in taxes? <laughs> right? We project onto God. And what can easily happen is when we project our expectations that nothing's ever good enough. No one is ever good enough. God is not good enough. And we end, up, we end up struggling in our relationships. We struggle in our marriages. We struggle in our friendships. We struggle in our, in our work relationships. We struggle with our relationship with God. We struggle with ourselves. And what can easily happen is we live a life that's closed off to the world, that's closed off to ourselves, closed off to our loved ones, closed off to our families, closed off to God himself. See, here's the thing. We're, most of the time, we're all wrong in our scouting report. <laughs> We're all wrong in our scouting report. And while, yes, these professionals that I mentioned a moment ago, they were wrong and they lost out on a QB, we lose out on blessings in our life. And we lose out on the true calling that God has called us to, to step into. And what can easily happen is that we end up living a half full life. We end up living a life that, that we're not walking in the call that God had for us. We're not building the family like God intended us to build. We're not moving forward into the blessing that he has for our lives. I'll say it this way, that the big problem is that a life of projecting expectations leads to a life of resentment. A life of projecting expectations leads to a life of resentment. Because what can easily happen is since no one's ever good enough for you, then you know what? I can't even stand you anymore. Because I haven't been able to move forward in my life. I can't even stand myself. Because God hasn't moved forward. God hasn't moved on my behalf. I can't even stand the very thought of him. Projecting expectations, it just leads to resentment. It's a very merciless way to live. It's a very harsh way to live. Very rigid way to live.
But that's why I love the story of Rahab. Because the story of Rahab actually reveals the condition of two hearts. The first condition is that it reveals the condition of the human heart. Again, how we, project, we can project onto people and how we're prejudiced and judgmental because the reality is this, is that had any single one of us actually been there in that time, known about Rahab, known about her lifestyle, known about her career path, known about the choices that she made, known about her history, chances are we would have overlooked her. Chances are we wouldn't have even acknowledged her. Chances are we would have thought less of her. Chances are we wouldn't even have thought that God would even use someone like this to change the very course of history. But that's why I love the story of Rahab because it also, it also reveals the condition of God's heart. And more specifically, God's heart towards people. Because while, yes, Rahab did not have the best past and while Rahab was still in the middle of sin, God wanted to save her. God wanted to save this woman who was, who was known as a prostitute, as a harlot. Again, the story of Rahab, it just reveals that how God's grace can change everything. See, in, in this story, again, we, we hear about these two spies that go into her home. See, Rahab was an innkeeper. This, her home was actually built into the wall, so it was perfect for them to go ahead and stay there. Again, they didn't know her past, but by God's providential grace, he sent those two spies to her. And, and at least for me, like, that just paints a beautiful picture about how God wants to meet us wherever we're at. God sent two people as a representation of his people to meet her exactly where she's at. And that just goes to tell me that you're not too far from God. You haven't messed up too much. Like, don't, don't feel that God is ignoring you and is off in a distance. But instead, he wants to meet you exactly where you're at. Exactly where you're at in the middle of your sin, in the muck, in the mire, in your mess, in your problems. He wants to meet you and he wants to pour out his grace over your life. See, Rahab's story is a gospel story because it's a story of God's grace. It's a story of redemption. And how his grace is so amazing, how his grace is so beautiful, how his grace is so undeserving, and how his grace is life-changing. I'll say it this way, if there's anything you get from today's message, is that the grace of God changes everything. The grace of God changes everything. But maybe you're hearing this and you're like, okay, what is grace? I just thought that was a name <laughs> for, for people. No, no, no. Like, biblical grace is actually defined as the free unmerited love and favor of God. The free unmerited love and favor of God. See, the thing about grace is that you can't earn it, but you can simply receive it. And, and that same grace that was available to Rahab is available to all of us here today, no matter what your past looks like. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're not going to pull up the, the verses on the screen, but towards the end of this verse, he describes the grace of God as the grace in its various forms. Another translation says the, multi, the multifaceted grace of God, the manifold grace of God. So when it comes to the grace of God, at least just because Scripture interprets Scripture, that just implies that there's levels to this. When it comes to the grace of God, there are levels to this. And but right now, as we look back to the story of Rahab, and as we look about how and we look at how God's grace changed her life, what are what are some things that we can take away from this? How can we learn more about the different levels and the grace of God? So we're going to study that today. And the first thing that we see from this story is that grace enables. Grace enables. See, His grace gives us an opportunity to respond in faith. 
his grace enabled Rahab to respond in faith. Because again, let's go back to the story here. When, when Rahab is making that declaration of faith, she says, because of everything we heard your God did, he split the Red Sea. Because we know that he is almighty, that, he, that when, it, when he says he wants something and he wants to give you something, he's going to do it. So she said, you know, all because of I've heard everything about him, I'm going to respond and say he is the real God. Some scholars actually believe this is a this is an Old Testament um, depiction of what we know in, in, in Romans uh, 10, 9, where it says that if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth, you will be saved. She did that before that verse was ever even written. She declared with her mouth and believed in her heart that, that it's, because of, it's because of the grace of God that those spies were sent to Rahab. Again, like, let's, let's just think, had those spies not been sent to specifically where she was, we would have had no record of her proclamation of faith. She would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't even know if this woman would have faith. I think those spies, I, I, I would go off to believe that those spies were just like an eye opener to her. She's like, oh man, these are the people of Israel. All right, God's real. Like, I can't deny it anymore. They're here. Again, his grace enables us to respond in faith. And, and, and Rahab's faith was legendary. Actually, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Great Hall of Faith chapter. And in chapter 11, verse 31, it says that by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Her faith is what, her faith is what saved her. Her faith, that, that grace that enabled her to have faith is what spared her and her, her entire family. Which, again, Scripture interprets Scripture because it's not by anything other than grace through faith that we're saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, and I'm going to actually be reading out of the Amplified Translation. It says that, for it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself, not through your own effort, but is the but it is, it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. See, grace enables us to be saved. Grace enables us to respond in faith so that we don't have to succumb to destruction and that we can live, we can live for him. Second thing that we can see from, from this story about grace is that grace equips. Grace Equipped. See, his grace gives us giftings, gives us talents, it gives us resource to actually live out our faith. See, it's one thing to have faith, it's another thing to live out that faith. See, it was the grace of God that equipped Rahab with the space to hide those two spies. And later, the very material that she'd use to ensure her home isn't destroyed. See, again, Rahab didn't just have this great proclamation of faith, but Rahab also had this great acting out of her faith. And even her acting out of her faith was also just as legendary. James, in James chapter 2, when he's speaking about uh, faith with deeds, not just faith, but faith with deeds, he, he refers to Rahab as the example. And James chapter 2, verse 25, it says that in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, it's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to actually live that out. 
That's why I love that reminder that Norma just gave us a little earlier about even just yesterday when we were giving out food. It's one thing to say we're a church and we're here on Sunday and we're going to have a party every Sunday, but it's another thing to actually serve our community, to remind people that we love them, to remind people that we're for them, to remind them that there is a God that is with them and there's a community here that not only serves him, but will serve our community because faith without deeds is dead. The Apostle Paul even writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. See, it's by the grace of God that the more you open yourself to be used by him, he will use you and he will equip you so that you, so that you can continue um, serving him and serving the people he loves. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says that is, my grace is sufficient. That when you're weak, when you don't have enough, guess what? My, my strength is more than enough. My strength is revealed in your weakness. So where we lack in our natural giftings and our natural talents, God fills in the gap by his grace. He equips us. But, but, but again, let's go, let's go back specifically to, to Rahab, right? Because we see here, not only did she have the space, but she had the material used to save her, which was that scarlet cord. Let's talk about the scarlet cord for a quick moment. See, the scarlet cord was, was significant. Um, many theologians believe that it represents two things which are one and the same. A first set of theologians would believe that this scarlet cord is to represent the blood that was actually needed to put on door frames during the first Passover listed in, in Exodus chapter 12. That, that blood was, was to protect the families from not losing their firstborn when the angel of death passed over their homes and whether, when they were still in Egypt. Other theologians believe that that, that very a scarlet cord represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us because Jesus was the Lamb of God and his blood was the final atonement for our sin because the, the wages of sin is death. Which, man, that's, that's why a day like today is so important where it's Communion Sunday and we're talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And, and, and it's good to remember that Jesus, because he died for us, now we can live for him. See, Jesus equips us with his blood. See, here, here's the thing about both of these scenarios, right? And, and how this scarlet cord is actually what spares her home. It, the, the, the spies tells her to, to tie this cord from your window so that when we come back, which we're going to read about in a few, few weeks, that when we come back and are ready to take this land, your home will not be touched. And everyone who's in it will not be touched. It was to cover her home with safety. And that's exactly what the blood of Jesus does for us. And I just love that God's plan for covering humanity, covering humanity from their sin and their shame has been all throughout the entire Bible, not just the Old Testament. I mean, not just the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see how God covered Adam and Eve in the garden and in Genesis chapter three. We see again through the blood that we, they put on the, on, the door, on the door frames in Exodus chapter 12. We see here in the story of Rahab, we read about this in Isaiah, about how the scarlet blood will be is to bring washing, it will be white as snow. We read about it all throughout the New Testament that the blood of Jesus covers us, that it, it covers us from our sin, it covers us from shame, it covers us from condemnation. And while, yes, you may not have a scarlet cord, guess what? You have the blood of Jesus to call upon, to equip you. 
because God's intentions for your life was not so that you live in shame, was not so that, was not that you live in condemnation. His plan for your life was not that you would be a prisoner to your past, that you would be held captive to your mistakes, that you wouldn't be separated from Him, that you wouldn't have a half full life, that you wouldn't be destroyed. But instead, all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and He will equip you with your blood and He will cover you from your sin. He will wash your sins. He will go ahead and bridge the gap between you and God. He will give you life and life to the full. He will protect you so that you may be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Just call on the blood and be equipped. So his grace enables, his grace equips. And the third thing that we see here is that his grace is everlasting. His grace is everlasting. It's ever flowing. It, it does not stop. See, the thing about the grace of God is that, again, it's undeserved. And, and it just, there's so many levels to it, but it doesn't stop at, at just salvation. And it doesn't stop at just being used by him, but it keeps on flowing. And, and just when you think that, just when you think, God, you've done it all for me already. What more, what more can I get? Like, I, I, I'm good with where I'm at. You can be content but God still has more for your life. See, Rahab, the grace that was over Rahab didn't just stop when she died. Actually, that grace continued to flow. That grace continued to, like, again, we read these verses earlier in Hebrews and in James. She's regarded for not only her faith, but her acting out of faith. Her legacy lives on. So much so to the point where we're, where I want us to read right now in Matthew chapter one, verse five, when we're reading about the genealogy of Jesus, which is the list of how, how Jesus came to be, at least from an earthly record, starting with Abraham, verse five, it says, Salmon, the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, who's, who was the father of David. The grace of God enabled that this woman who was known as a harlot, who was known as a prostitute, who had a terrible past, to now be included in the very family, the genealogy, the family line of Jesus Christ himself. Man, and you know, when we read about Rahab in the Bible, when we read about her title, right? Rahab the prostitute, if you notice, this is the only time that she is specifically referred to, but yet she's not referred to by her profession. She's not referred to by her past. She's not referred to by her sin. Instead, she is now a part of a, of, of a family line of divinity. And, the re and, and why is that? Why is Rahab still regarded as her title throughout other, other passages? I honestly believe that one, in the Bible, repetition is to, is to, is to bring significance. It's to really, like, God's really trying to make a point. And I think the point is that no matter what your past is, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how much you failed, that God can change anyone's life. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, God can change your life. And with that life, He can change the very course of history. His grace is everlasting. His grace is everlasting. His, there's levels to this, there's levels to this. Like, for me personally, I've been so fixated on the grace of God. 
And mind you, as we read about grace and we read about how God can change anyone's life and how God is so forgiving in his mercy, mind you, please don't mistake this message as a license to sin or as a license to just do whatever you want because God's gonna forgive me. No, 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 actually, his grace enables us to no longer want to live that way. His grace enables us to live a repentant life. A repentant life is a metanoia. It is to change your mind, to change from my direction and now go in God's direction. But as I think about the grace of God, the reason why I speak so passionately about this and the reason why I, I feel so passionately and why I'm so obsessed with the grace of God is because I'm a, I feel like I have more authority to speak on this because I'm a recipient of the grace of God. See, for those that, don't, that maybe don't know my story, see, I was born and raised here in Miami, Florida. I mean, I, I love this city. I, I love this state. I, I, love, I, I love everything about it. And by the time I was 13 years old, my father passed away. And at 13 years old, I had to grow up really, really fast. By the time I was 14, I was already, I was already doing drugs. I was already drinking. I was already doing everything under the sun. I continued that lifestyle for years upon years upon years, years of abuse to myself, years of lying, of cheating, of stealing, years of abuse to those around me. I've made so many mistakes that I am not proud of. Then from there, I end up taking, I end up getting a really great job again. God knows why, but I get a really great job that relocates me to another state. I live in North Carolina for a year. While I was in North Carolina, I had the worst year of my life. Throughout all this time, all I did was battle shame. All I did was battle condemnation. All I did was battle severe depression over that year where literally every single day, all I wanted to do was just, just, just dream about how I was going to kill myself. And then it wasn't until one point where I finally had that moment where I was just, I hit rock bottom. And I was like, God, if you're real, please just show up, do something. And by the grace of God, I felt like something just picked me up, took me to a nightstand where I read his promises for my life. And I, and I, and it was that very weekend. I just, I got saved. I said that his grace enabled me to respond and say, God, you are real. And because of that, I'm going to live a different life. I end up moving back to Florida. And I, and, and by, again, by the grace of God, he ends up equipping me and I end up serving on, t I find the church, my ex-girlfriend who is now my wife. Guess what? I found out she was going to a church. I'm like, Hey, can I go? She tells me no. <laughs> she says, no, don't go here. I showed up anyway. <laughs> and I go to this church and I'm like, that's it. I'm going to call this place home and I'm going to serve here. And I want to be a part of this. I end up meeting some amazing people. I end up being a part of the team. God equipped me with something. So I'm going to just live for him. Not only do I have faith, I want to live out this faith. And again, that, there's levels to this. That same grace not only allows me to be a part of a church, allows me to be a part of building his church, allows me for whatever reason to be a part of a team leadership in this church, allows me to be a part of leading a connect group in this church, allows me to be right here right now, like bringing his word in this church. And it's all by his grace. <laughs> There's levels to this. And so much so now where I'm like, God, I'm good. Like, I'm, like, God, like, you don't, I don't deserve this because I know what I've done and because I know what I do. I know what I think. I know what I've said. I know how I felt towards people. I know the mistakes I've made. Why is your grace so good? Why is your grace so undeserving? Why do you pour out your grace on me? I don't deserve it. But again, there's levels to this. 
And so much so that right now where I feel like I'm so content with life, thank God for whatever reason feels that His grace needs to pour out more where now He's even allowed me the opportunity to build my own family, to be able to be a father to somebody when I know I don't deserve it. And I say all of that to remind you that there's levels to this. Why don't we stand up to our feet? And we're going to close out right now. And really, what I want to do is I want to give I want to give somebody an opportunity in here that you heard about this amazing grace. You heard about, you even heard my story and you just feel, you feel moved and you feel like something's tugging at your heart and you want to, you want to receive that free gift of grace. Remember, you can't earn it. You can only receive it. And I want to give somebody an opportunity to receive that free gift of grace, that free gift of forgiveness that comes from grace by simply declaring faith in Jesus. So if we can close our eyes and bow our heads in a moment of concentration, a moment of privacy, I want to give somebody here an opportunity. So as we hear about grace, let's, let's look at the big picture. See, the Bible tells us that we all have sinned. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We all have fallen short of God's standard. And the thing about God is that He is holy and He can't be with sin. Sin, sin separates us from Him. But because God all-knowing and so gracious he knew that there's no way we can earn our way to him he sent jesus down he lived a perfect and blameless life he fulfilled the standard that we could not and jesus after fulfilling the law and the prophets filling every every prophecy about him and, and living that standard he gave himself up on a cross to take on the the punishment that we deserved see the bible again tells us that the wages of sin is death and that's why we need that, that Passover lamb. That's why that scarlet cord represents the blood is so special. And that after Jesus was, was crucified, he was, he was murdered, he was stabbed, he was spat on, humiliated. The Bible also tells us that three days later, he rose again to defeat what's called the sting of death. So that all we have to do is simply declare in our mouth, and believe in our heart that He's Lord and that he, ro he rose from the dead and we will be saved. And if that's you here today and you want to receive that free gift of salvation, that free gift of faith, and maybe you're here and you made a decision like this and you would say you fit, you've backslidden, you, you fell back and you want to recommit yourself to God. On the count of three, I want to give you an opportunity and just simply raise up your hand. You can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put a microphone in your face. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want to acknowledge who I'm praying for. So with the eyes still closed and head still bowed, if that's you today, on the count of three, you can put your hand right up. You can put it right back down. One, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same again. And three, if that's you, you can put your hand up. You can put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you, man. Amen. And if you made that decision, what I'm going to do now is I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a prayer to a pastor. It's a prayer to God. And because we're a family here, we're all going to say it together. It's a simple repeat after me prayer. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sins and on the third day you resurrected. Come into my life, be my Lord and be my savior. From today on, I believe in you, I will follow you 
and I love you. And it's in Jesus' name and all of Calvary said, amen and amen. Come on, church, can we congratulate everybody that made that decision today? Amen. So proud of you. And uh, if you made that decision, I can't promise your life is going to be perfect, but I can't promise you have the perfect one with you. And if you made that decision, we actually, have a, we actually have a free gift for you. It's a free Bible, our gift from us to you. You're going to see some amazing Dream Team members out in the front under the Connect tent, waving these around. Like, you don't have to give any info if you don't want to, that's fine. But get this Bible in your hand because you, it's in this you're going to learn God's promises for your life. You're going to learn how God loves you and you're going to learn more about Him. But make sure you get this in your hands. Thank you, BJ. And if you're watching online, you can go ahead and text us side at 33222 and we'll send you one in the mail. But uh, church, can we, make, can, can we make some noise for everybody that made that decision here today? Amen. My hope and my prayer is that as we go about our week, that we would reflect on the grace of God, that not only are we recipients, but we can also showcase the grace of God to others. But I love you, church. I hope that bless your life. And uh, we're gonna actually leave out of here partying and we're gonna throw, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate everything God has done. But before we do, let me pray for your week. So Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I, we thank you for that undeserving grace, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just move in our week, have your way in our life, God. Protect us everywhere that we go. And Lord, may we showcase your grace everywhere that we are. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Calvary said, amen.